What's up, you guys? I'm the Sideline Statsman, and welcome to the Pigskin Pulpit. Today's episode, we're covering all the biggest stories of Week 3, and some more. Let's think about it. A lot of stuff happened in Week 3. Daniel Jones finally got his first start of the season, so we got to get a sneak peek at the 6th overall pick in action. Uh, the Detroit Lions pulled out another win, again, and now they're undefeated. How could that be possible? We'll discuss. Jacoby Brissett is turning into another big star in this NFL league because no one saw it coming. We all saw him as a relief effort for a man who already had a bunch of Pro Bowls to his name and was considered the guy to run the Colts' future. Instead, now you have this kid, Jacoby Brissett, takes over and becomes a superstar. We're going to talk about that. I'm going, to give, I'm going to give two teams in each conference that I believe are the teams to beat. So if you want to get anywhere in the playoffs, you have to beat one of these two teams in each conference. So get ready for that because one of them, two of them are kind of obvious. The other two are just interesting in themselves. And then, as you expect, our debate topic of the week... Oh wow! Yeah, we had a little, we had a little bit of activity last week, but nothing really stood out to me on best responses because I was reading over them. I didn't really see anything. So for that, there will be no responses this week because nobody responded. So another warning: you guys have to respond to these things if you want to be put on the show. I mean, I've done it before already, but if you keep commenting, I'll put you on. I didn't see really anybody comment, and the people who did were just short one-line answers that didn't make any sense. So, let's make sure that we get accurate and we actually comment on these things. And then, to conclude as we always do, our winners and losers of the week. Two winners, two losers. One, one of each is a team, and one of each is a player. So, without further ado, let's get started. So, Daniel Jones... The mystery product from the New York Giants coming out of Duke. A lot of people thought he was going later in the draft. I thought he was because I thought it made the most sense. But apparently it did not for the Giants. They wanted to take him as soon as possible. Now, we all didn't expect it. When we saw him get taken, we were shocked. We could not believe that the Giants just took Daniel Jones that early. We couldn't believe it. We were in shock. And we were saying, what is Gettleman doing? It's one of the biggest mistakes I've seen the New York Giants do in a long time. Yeah, well, I've seen worse. So, when it comes to Daniel Jones, I think we all jumped on and got on the wrong foot, as everyone expected. My friend is also a big an- big a- analysis for, um, mainly when it comes to college football, the recruits coming out, and people... Who are getting ready to declare for draft. Everybody. From all around the the, uh, college football. He evaluates all of them and the big names. And tells me everything I need to know. He said when the draft was going around last year. 
that Daniel Jones was the best quarterback in the draft. It shocked me when he said it too. But I think he was on to something and we didn't notice it. So kudos to him. And basically was just saying that Daniel Jones was a better talent than Kyler Murray. Which right now I can kind of see it. But again, it's just one game. We need to see him fully develop first. So on that note, Daniel Jones gets to start week three against Tampa in Tampa. It's a road game. Big game. They need to, they need to win now. So they go into Tampa. They're down 28-10 at halftime. All of a sudden, Tampa's defense collapses. The offense stalls. The only thing that didn't collapse on that defense was Shaq Barrett. Shaquille Barrett somehow pulled off four sacks. So he's now first in the league with eight sacks. And we're only going into week four. So just think about that a second. Anyway, their defense is now quiet. It's not really as active because they're they're tired, because they're on the field so much. The offense isn't giving them time. So on that note, that makes it easy for Daniel Jones to wear him down. And I knew there was a problem and that the, the Buccaneers were in trouble when he completed that pass to Evan Ingram on a simple route going about 10, 15 yards. And then Ingram broke past a, a defender to go down the field for the touchdown. A simple play... I was only supposed to get about 15, 20 yards. Got him a 75-yard touchdown. So, honestly, from there, that's when I knew it was over. That's when I knew there was going to be a problem and that Tampa was going to find a way to lose the game. Giants come storming back. Comes down to field goal. The one the Bucks should have made. And he missed it. And because he missed it, Daniel Jones' legacy is now started. Let's be gone. Winston's heroic efforts were written away. But it's not about the Bucks. It's about how did this quarterback play on the Giants. And I noticed something in Daniel Jones' Giants didn't have before, which is a mobile quarterback. And it's cool because usually you don't see that with the Giants because we're so used to Eli Manning. So all of a sudden now you're looking at this in a way of new era, new player, means new play style. And with the legs he has and how surprisingly fast he is for his height, he is amazing in itself. It's rare to watch somebody successful like that. In his first game, you got two rushing touchdowns as a quarterback, two passing, and you did a decent day about over, I think they said over 60% completion percentage. That's not bad. Got the yardage. You did what you had to do. But now the tests are going to keep coming in. Next week, you got to play the Redskins. Granted, their defense is one of the worst in the league. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to go in there and tear them up. If you can tear them up, you're going to prove a lot of people wrong. Because Giants defense can't just do it on themselves. It's all on you to get it done. Dana Jones has to score the points. He's got to blow them out. You blow them out, um, we're going to start believing at least I am. Because as I've read before, you can't judge somebody's career off of one game. You can't judge somebody's future off one game. Gotta let them get their feet wet. Gotta give them a little bit of time. Give them a few games. For example, Gardner Minshew's played three games already. I can tell you now, I think the kid's a stud. 
He's going to be something in this league. That's another example. Um, Mason Rudolph only played one game. I can't give an analysis on that. I can only give an analysis on the game where he could not get the offense going. And they lost to the Niners. That's all I could say. So until I see Daniel Jones play for real, as in I see him play more games, then I can give a proper analysis on what I think of it. So this brings me to my next topic, which involves the Detroit Lions. I mean, honestly, it's a mystery what's going on in Detroit. I don't know if it's because of who they're playing, but the Lions are jumping out early and surprising a lot of people. So, the Lions started out with the time week one by blowing a lead and tying with the Cardinals. At that point, I, I wasn't sold on anything. Going into week two, they're playing the Chargers. Everyone thought it was over. Right before it even started. I did too. Lions prove the people wrong. They do just enough on offense to overcome the Charger defense and win 13-10. to Making them 1-0-1. So they're technically undefeated now. So I went, okay. All right, that's a good one. But me, I don't know if it's going to happen again next week. You're playing the Eagles. That should be a definite loss. Nope. They go in. They beat the Eagles. They beat the Eagles, I believe it was 27-24. to 24. And honestly, when I saw that win, I couldn't handle it. That one shocked me. Because that Detroit defense isn't that good. And that Detroit offense isn't that good. But somehow, they found a way to get it all together and beat the Eagles. So now they're sitting at 2-0-1 right underneath the Packers for first place in the conference. I mean, in the division. In the NFC North. So now, the question is, what is going on with the Lions? I've never seen this before with them. I mean, think about it. Your run game's clicking. Now, with Carryon Johnson... Your passing game is somehow working, even if T.J. Hawkinson isn't being utilized as much. But you're utilizing your other key players like Marvin Jones. And you're moving them around and you're making the plays work. It's, that's what you want to do. The O-line is giving Stafford enough time to get stuff done. No matter how much havoc these defensive lines have been trying to create, Stafford's been completing passes. And he's been getting the job done. Top... 10 in passing yards in the league. See, Stafford has always been a good enough quarterback. Above average, I should say. The problem was of where he was. This year, I'm seeing the Lions a little different than what I've seen in a while. I'm not saying it's a playoff run. I'm saying the Lions have changed a little bit. Just like the Niners did. Detroit is shocking people. And it may stay that way. We don't know. Detroit is unique. That defense is not the best, and we talked about it before. I'm not a fan of it, and that's why I gave them such a low record projection. But now, I don't know, man. It all depends if Detroit can keep it up. I believe they got to play Green Bay. And if they beat Green Bay, I'm sold. I'm sold. You beat Green Bay, I'm sold. That's hard to do. Green Bay has the best defense in the league right now. Hands down, they have the best defense. 
Not the best offense because that offense is definitely below, right about average. So average defense, best defense. Average offense, best defense. So that's really how it's set up for the Packers. Lions can exploit that and beat them. It's it's going to shock the NFL and make analysts rethink their opinions on the Lions for the future of this season. So let's let's go into this other idea here. Could it be possible that the Lions' success is centered around Stafford? I mean, you could make that argument because he's getting the plays on field and he's putting the ball in the right spots. You could. But you can also argue that he's kind of been limiting them too because they don't have as much flexibility with plays because he's not he's not really a runner. He's a pocket passer. One of the last few ones that came out of the recent drafts, which by recent I mean like 10 years ago because he was the number one pick by the Lions in 2009. So don't forget that. He was in the same draft as Mark Sanchez. He was the best quarterback to come out of it, and I still stand by that. Matthew Stafford was never a runner. He was a pocket passer. Doesn't have the legs. Doesn't have the mobility. Stands there in the pocket. Gets the ball out to his receiver for touchdowns. And that's what he's good at. He doesn't have that multi-dimensional game that everybody else has. Because that's the new trend. But that doesn't mean that you have to follow the trend and, and, not, and still be successful. He's not doing like other quarterbacks. And he's proving that he's better. By doing things people don't expect. He's just completing passes downfield. That's all he's doing. And they're winning. So he keeps up his production. The Lions are going to be doing really well. Hopefully when playoffs come around. Or at least when it gets later in the season. If they're still doing this well. We got to consider them a wild card or playoff team. We have to. No other way around it. So that's going to lead me into the next topic. Which is Jacoby Brissett. Because speaking of quarterbacks, well, there's a guy in Indianapolis who's taken off. And nobody's really paying attention to it as much. After Andrew Luck left, I was a believer that Chad Kelly should have been the starter. Not Jacoby Brissett. I didn't have any faith in him whatsoever. I was, I was hoping that it was the right decision they made. And it was the right decision they made. And I'm glad that I was wrong. Because Jacoby Brissett is commanding that offense and he's commanding that team. They're sitting at two and one right now. Two and one. Their biggest win was against Atlanta. They beat Atlanta this week. That was a good game. And they didn't have Darius Leonard and they beat Atlanta. That just shows you it's not just about the quarterback, it's the talent. The talent of the team helped to win the game. So it's never about one player doing everything for the team. It's all about everybody working cohesively to make sure to get the job done. And that's exactly what happened. The defense worked together, and they did what they had to do, and they won. So I'm not mad at it. And the offense, Jacoby Brissett, went off this past week. His passing yards aren't the highest in the league. They're not that high. But the thing is, he's completing passes. He's scoring. He's doing what, everything he has to do as a quarterback to help his team succeed, maximize their success. And by doing that, he's making this a tougher game for other teams. And let's also not forget, what's really helping Brissette here is that Marlon Mack and the run game are working. 
That's the other thing. They're like the best run attack in the league. If I'm correct, I think the only one that rivals is the Dalvin Cook and the Vikings. So the Vikings and the Colts are the best ground games in the NFL right now. And that's hard to think about because Vikings, everybody was saying that Dalvin Cook's going to choke this season. Wasn't really going to be a rebound. He's going to get hurt again, talking about his injuries. And then people just forgot Marlon Mack existed. And they didn't think that that run game was to be established. But they forgot that we're dealing with the best offensive line in football with the Colts. So when you have the best offensive line, you're going to find the gaps and you're going to make big plays happen. And that's exactly what Marlon Mack is doing. And that's what the Colts need. Right now, the way they're playing, they're looking like a for sure playoff team. They're 2-1. and one. They should be 3-0, and oh, but they're 2-1. and one. That's simple. They are one of the teams to beat in the, AFC, in the AFC. Definitely one of the teams. But I'm not saying the two teams I selected. I'm saying one of the teams in general. So what I what I mean by that is Jacoby Brissett and the Colts are one of those teams that can surprise you and punch you in the mouth in the middle of a game, basically. Because you'll sit there and you'll be like, wait, what just happened? Did he just make that throw? Oh my god, did he just run downfield? That, I mean, that's that's more or less what the game is. You're sitting like, oh my god, they did that. Oh my god, not again. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh no, he's keeping it up. Uh, uh oh, we just lost by 20. See? I'm saying the subtlety of it is what's making this such a good team. They're not a superpower team, but they're a really good team, and people are underestimating them, especially the fans. So, in my opinion, when that happens, it reminds me of stories of underdog quarterbacks people slept on. Jim McMahon, you think of Steve Young was slept on until he won that Super Bowl with the 49ers. You can go into um, Brett Favre when he came from Atlanta to Green Bay. You can think of Matt Hasselbeck as a slept on quarterback. Left Green Bay, goes to Seattle, and uh, takes him to the Super Bowl, which they did lose. But for the record, Matt Hasselbeck here we're talking about. Great quarterback. Just they got the right guy right after him. Russell Wilson. So, uh, basically, you see what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is, these guys are underdog quarterbacks. Nobody really believed in them to be Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. So sometimes the NFL shocks you, and people sh- and teams shock you. For example, Super Bowl 42, the Giants won. People forget the Giants were a wild card team. They're a wild card team that waltzed into the Super Bowl. Shocking everybody by defeating everybody in the NFC to get there to face an undefeated super team of the Patriots with Randy Moss. And they went in and they beat them in one of the greatest games ever played. So, yeah. That's what I'm saying. If things go their way, the Colts could be like the Giants back in uh, 2007. You could easily see that happen. I can draw that comparison, can't you? Just keep an eye on Jacoby Brissett. You got a future star right there. Moving on, we're now going into the four teams to beat in the NFL. We're going to go two per conference. So two in the AFC, two in the NFC. So when I'm going into the AFC, the two most obvious stand out. So I'm going to go with them. 
My first team to beat in the AFC is the New England Patriots. Obviously, superpower. It's hard to beat a team like that. The way they're built. Both at quarterback with the guy who seems to get younger with every throw. You have a running game that's consistent and strong. That has different facets to it. Different levels. So like Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, James White. Those three each have different talents in themselves. And James Devlin as the fullback has different um, uses for the Patriots in different scenarios that they use. Sometimes they'll be used in fullback, in fullback formations for runs. Sometimes they'll be used as an extra blocker. They're, they vary everything. They use something different every time. That's what makes the Patriots so tough because Bill Belichick is a amazing coach. And in and of itself, he is a mastermind when it comes to confusing and drawing teams from their high horse, taking them down. So from that aspect, you've got to think here, what other teams could really put the Patriots in jeopardy? And I think it's all obvious, the first one here. Um, the only other one is in the AFC, really, and they're in the top two in power rankings every week. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. See, this is where I have a fan screaming, that's true, that's true. But I can also say that that also might not be the case. Because the Kansas City Chiefs have one of the, have the best offense in the NFL. They got LaShawn McCoy away from the Bills and look at them. Look at them. LaShawn McCoy is shining over there. Him and Damian Williams together. It's just such a good mix. Like, how could the Chiefs ask for any better? And on top of that, receiving game is on point. Demarcus Robinson, Nicole Hardman, Sammy Watkins. They don't have Tyreek Hill, and they're still one of the most dangerous offenses in the league. Demarcus Robinson's one of the most athletic players I've seen. I'm watching all these guys who I've never heard of before in my life catching passes and going down the field for like 80 yards. Demarcus Robinson was a big example. Miko Hardman, the rookie from Georgia, took one. It was a small pass, wasn't too deep. And he took it, turned on the Jets, and flew all the way down and beat everybody. Sammy Watkins, remember week one, he had the 190-something yard performance? He w- Well, not even. It was 200-something yards, I think. He was incredible. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter who it is. The quarterback is making everything work. And Andy Reid is doing the right plays down deep to create separation and utilizing the speed of the receivers and the strength of Mahomes. And it's working. So from that note, I can easily say it's really hard to beat the Chiefs, the offense. It would be a miracle to beat them. The Ravens almost did it. In week three, they almost did it. In a comeback, in a comeback um, attempt, the Ravens almost beat the Chiefs. They lost by five, but the Chiefs started to choke a little bit, and that's in part to their defense. Their defense is doing a lot better this season than they were last season. I think that's responsibly going to be because of Tyron Matthew. There's no denying Tyre Matthews an amazing talent, but there's also not there's also no denying that if it wasn't for him, this team wouldn't be where it is right now. That this defense wouldn't be as good as it is right now. He has locked down that secondary 
beyond what I thought could happen. I thought this defense was going to be one of the worst in the league. It's not. It's not the worst, but it's also not the best. It's like, it's above average. Just above average for a defense. And last season they were below average for a defense. So that's definitely a step up. And with that step up, that's going to help them out later on. So, yeah, the Patriots and the Chiefs are my two teams I think are the ones to beat in the AFC. Question is, who are the only ones that can stop? Who can beat them? Again, the Ravens. Um, we can possibly argue the Texans here. Definitely argue them. Because if it wasn't for a kick, they'd be 3-0. And the Browns. Those are it. Maybe the Bills, too. Maybe the Bills. I don't know if I can believe in them yet. But, yeah, maybe the Bills. So, from here, let's think about this. Now we go to the NFC. NFC's a lot tougher because there's a few undefeated teams and there's also some really good teams that are 2-1. and one. So, for me, I'm starting off with the Green Bay Packers. There's no way to deny how great the Green Bay Packer team is and how great the defense is. I mean, there's no arguing it anymore. It seems like Aaron Rodgers is losing himself a little bit. A little bit of a fall off here. But it doesn't mean anything. Because it seems like the Packers got this under control. So I've got nothing else to say there. I think that, I think the defense has been amazing. And no one has really challenged them and made, give them a run for their money. And from the offensive standpoint, the run game's doing okay with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. It's okay. And the pass, and the receivers, they're actually doing pretty well. It's all about Rodgers here. First of all, protect him, which he seems like he's getting a little bit. But they're like a middle-tier team. And I think that's all on the part of uh, Billy Turner. Because if you guys didn't see the other day, um, an analyst posted something involving Billy Turner saying that he was the best blocking lineman in the league. And analytic standpoints from Pro Football Focus said, um, you are wrong. He's one of the worst and we were sitting here laughing because we couldn't believe that he actually said that. Because who goes around and just says, hey, um, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to say it. Billy Turner is the best lineman in the league. And then create false information that people think is true. Who is has intent of doing that? It makes no sense. What I'm trying to say here is the offense and defense are what make Green Bay great, and so is Matt LaFleur, the coach. I'm impressed with what's going on. 3-0 is definitely the record they deserve. Think about the teams they've played. They beat Chicago week one. They beat the Vikings already. I mean, where do they go from here? It's nowhere but up. It's going to take a good, a bad game from the Packers defense and from Rodgers to stop them. That's all it's going to take. And I guarantee it's going to happen. Eventually. But not now. Another team I could definitely jump into here. Involving this crazy stuff. Is um the Rams. See before the season started. I didn't think the Rams were going to be that good. I thought they were going to fall off. Have fizzle out. Whatever. But they're 3-0. And I'm surprised. Usually I was like Todd Gurley's out of threat. It's going to get to him. They don't have really solid running back to take over, which they have Malcolm Brown now instead of Daryl Henderson. Um, I didn't account for the impact of Cooper Cup from when he came back from his 
injury last season because the second he came back, Jared Goff has been taking off because his favorite target is back, which is why they beat, were able to beat teams like the Browns. It was easy for them because he had what he needed. He's successful. The Rams' defense is not as strong as it was last year. I'll give you that. But that offense is clicking. That Rams offense is killing it right now. Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, and Cooper Cup. All three of them together make the most unsuspecting, successful wide receiver course in the NFL. Because you hear those names and you're just like, wait, I know Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup, but what about Robert Woods? You look over the stats and you're like, oh, wow, so you do have one of the best in the league. Hmm. It shocks people. But it's true. So as long as their offense stays at the same level it is right now, they are a team to beat. And the only teams I think that can possibly beat the Packers or the Rams in the NFC, got to think about it. The Saints can beat them. They've got a chance. You got to look over now at, um, you can't really look at Philly anymore. Look at Dallas. Dallas is one of those teams. Granted, Dallas hasn't played a serious team yet. But once again, Dallas still has the talent. The Minnesota Vikings. Um, the 49ers, I'm going to say too, because they've been playing very, very well. Very good football. And, uh, the Seahawks. That's it. I don't see anybody else. Not the Falcons, not the Panthers, not the Bucks, not the Lions or the Bears. No, just those teams I mentioned. Those are the only ones. So yeah, that's going to conclude that segment for the teams to beat and for the top stories of the week. So now we jump into my favorite segment, the, the debate topic of the week. And unfortunately, the debate topic of the week, I can't say your responses. Why can't I say your responses? Because unfortunately, I had a few comments. And none of them spoke out to me. None of them were quality, if that makes sense. They were short. They were too short and were brief. So when you're going to comment on something, I'm going to pick the best one. And when I pick the best one, I want it to be clear and concise. And I want it to make sense. I don't want to hear a one-word response because I've got three of those. Should Eli? I said, should Eli Manning be in the Hall of Fame? And you, I got four people who said yes. I had two people that said no, and nobody elaborated. And I and I commented. I, I said, why do you think that? And I got no answer from anybody. So, as a result, this is a warning. I need you guys to please comment and explain yourselves. Because it's not like I'm going to throw you guys in jeopardy. What I'm doing is I'm giving you a chance for exposure through this podcast. So it's a way of engaging with you guys. I want to make that connection and make something that lasts between me and you. That's the point of the debate topic of the week. You guys decide amongst yourself and talk about football. And I help promote that and promote your thoughts. For people out there who may agree or disagree with you. Doesn't matter. The point is, your name is out there now. And I helped out with that. That's the point. You guys love football and 
I want to see you guys display that love and affection you have for the game. So this is the way to do it. So this leads into this week's debate topic, which is going to involve the teams that I think are in panic mode. So you want to talk about teams that after three weeks are starting to panic and should start worrying about the future. So from that standpoint, I'm going with two teams here. You guys don't have to, but you guys have to make sure to comment on Twitter and on Instagram. I will be posting these debate topics. You respond, you say what you want, and that's it. Simple as that. Just make sure it's clear, and I understand it. So make sure to explain yourself a little bit. That way, I can put it on my podcast and I can talk about it, and I can have a little bit of a discussion about what you said. I'm only taking the three best responses, and if I get... A few responses, very few. I'm only picking one. And do not give me a one-word answer, please. Alright. So, here we go. Which teams do you think are in panic mode right now? So, I pick two teams here, and I for sure think the Chargers are in panic mode. I think they're starting to realize that not having Melvin Gordon is hurting them. And the fact that their offensive line isn't as strong as they thought. So we came into this season having high expectations for the LA Chargers. And they haven't lived up to them yet. I mean, for God's sake, you just lost to the Texans, man. You didn't want that to happen. That was a game you had in the bag and you choked it up to the Texans. Get out of here. I can't talk about that. So, when I'm telling you that the Chargers are struggling and should be panicking, I mean it. Phillip Rivers has been decent so far this season. He's been doing okay. It's because he's not getting that protection, and that defense isn't making big enough plays and getting the stops. Keenan Allen's getting plenty of yards. He's top in the league right now in receiving yards. But it's more or less... Outside of one player. I always talked about multidimensional football and using that to exploit defenses and keep them guessing. When you talk about a run game, there was it was two dimensions. It was Melvin Gordon, it was Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler, okay, if you have just one aspect of it rather than the two, you're easy to read. That's why the run game hasn't really worked with Austin Eckler in. But you have the two of them and you alternate, they're not going to be ready for either one. You can't, you won't be able, you're not going to be the one that watches all the film on both guys. You're not going to do that unless you are really committed to this game, which most guys, which some guys are, but not a lot of them. So going from that, it's just the fact that the Chargers need Melvin Gordon. They're panicking and they don't know it yet, but they're going to need him sooner than later. You're sitting at a spot you don't want to be in, man. You're one and two. You do not want to be there. You want to get wins now. You want to stay in the race because it's easy to get lost. You'll get lost behind the Chiefs very quickly. The Chiefs are already 3-0. You're already two games back. Just get in it already. Get back in it. Prove why you are a good team and why you were Super Bowl contenders or considered Super Bowl contenders by many analysts this year. Not by me, but but for many analysts. You get what I'm saying. And my other team, I'd have to say, 
is in panic mode are the Falcons. See, it doesn't seem like it because you think about the team and you really don't know what defines panic mode. First of all, you have to define it to know what it truly means. When I say panic mode, it means when a team is scared of its future and decides to be risky and do things that can cost them their season. So in this case, I'm citing the Atlanta Falcons. Great win, though, against the Eagles in Week 2. Great win. Going to Week 3, you choked. Sure, go in. You beat the Eagles, but you lose to the Colts. Does that make any sense? Does it? No. It doesn't make sense. You beat the Eagles and you lose to the Colts. Honestly, what is going on? I'll put it like this. Passing game is okay. Matt Ryan's doing okay. Your running game's doing okay. It's that defense, man. It's that defense. Just lost Keanu. You just lost Keanu Neal for the season. Again. And now you got to deal with other issues involving coverage from the secondary and the linebackers. They're blowing. They're blowing zone coverage. That's a problem. Got to fix that. Zone coverage is one of those things meant for deception. That's all an illusion game. You're not going to know where the guys are because you're going to think he's too far. But it, once the quarterback reads it and he throws the ball, that defender's going to jump that route quick and he's going to take that ball out of nowhere. See, that's the beauty of zone. They don't know the player's going to be that close. And I'm like, man, where well, they already know it and they just got to put it in a place where the guy can't reach it. But if you can't run zone properly, teams will take advantage of that. And that's what happened against the Colts. The run game wore down the defensive line. And Jacoby Brissett was exploiting the zone coverage. Think about it. It's, it's, the, it's the truth. Falcons defense is going downhill. And it's taking the Falcons offense with them. That's why they're 1-2. and two. There's no other way around it. So right now, they should be hitting panic mode and finding out how they can improve defensively. They gotta find solutions and very quick, preferably. So yeah, that's the debate topic of the week. I'm gonna make a post for Twitter and Instagram. Make sure to comment and I'll give you what I think. And my best responses could be on the next episode. So keep an eye out. Alright, and this leads me to the final topic of the week. This is going to be the winners and losers segment. This is my favorite segment because this is usually what concludes podcasts and this is my favorite way to conclude a podcast. So, without further ado, let's talk about them winners and losers. See, this week was full of fun and full of uh, disturbing events that kind of destroyed teams. And it's a rough from both teams' perspectives. So let's put it this way here. I'm going to give you one team winner, one team loser. And one player winner, player loser. It's a unique way to put it because people are always enveloped in being complex about it. But I don't want to be complex. I want to make it simple 
and interesting. That's the thing. So this is simple and be ready for it. Here's what I got for you. So, for my team winner this week, I have the Houston Texans. Why do I have the Houston Texans? They had a really good game against the Chargers this week. Something I actually enjoyed watching. When I talk about the Texans, if it wasn't for the Saints game, when Will Lutz got that field goal at the end of the game as time expired to win, the Texans would be 3-0 right now and we'd be having a totally different conversation, but we're not. See, that's the be- that's another beautiful thing about football. One moment can change everything. That one moment gave the Texans a loss, which now puts some people into, and especially the fans, into thinking they're irrelevant. But that's not the case because they nearly beat the Saints. They should be 3-0. They should be. But they moved too quick, and that was bad play calling by Bill O'Brien, and they lost. So, let's go from there. Deshaun Watson is dealing with an offensive line that's going to get him killed. Because they can't block. So it's unbelievable. But what else is, but what else is unbelievable is how successful Deshaun Watson still is. He's still one of the best QBs in this league. Especially in the AFC. So the fact that he's still performing at a high level just shows you how incredible this kid is and how talented he is. Like you have to sit there and be like, what were these, what were these draft experts thinking? What were they thinking saying that Deshaun Watson wasn't going to be ready for the NFL and that he wasn't NFL material? What were they thinking? They were so wrong. It's not even, feasible to discuss that. Now, the thing is also the Texans don't have Lamar Miller for the season, but that doesn't mean their run game is completely non-existent. Duke Johnson's been picking up the slack, and it hasn't been bad for the Texans. They've been okay. They've been doing okay. And with that, you got to say, you got to give them kudos. They're doing good with what they have. And the Texans' defense is doing enough to win games. See, they're not. I'm not saying they're doing well. I'm saying they're doing enough. Every game. They go into every game and they make sure they do just enough to make sure the offense gets time to go on the field and score. That's it. They do their job. They're not sack machines. They're not destructive. But they do enough. That's what I'm trying to say here. And that's the beauty of this. That's why the Texans team is so good. Because they do enough to win games. Because every game they know what, what they have to do to get it done. They're not the best, but they know what has to be done to win. And they use that to our advantage. So here, I've got to say the Texans won this week. Got to say it. Should be 3-0. They're atop the AFC South. They got it. They got to do this. The only team that's rivaling them that right now is the Colts. So, that's it. As for my losing team of the week, the losers. I think you already guessed it. I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles. Granted, you had no Deshaun Jackson this week. But your run game still struggled. I'm going to talk about how Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard couldn't get anything done on the ground. I ain't going to talk about it. That run game was just 
total over 100 yards. That's it. But that's total out of all three players that were running. Even Wentz himself. I mean, come on now, guys. You got to think about this. We all thought the Eagles were contenders entering this season. But right now, the way they've been playing, their only win was in week one against the Redskins. Think about that a second. The Redskins were their only win this season. Yeah. You heard that right. So how can you expect me to support your team and give you some love if your team can't prove that they deserve the love? I mean, the best thing is once had a good statistical performance. It was adequate. But it still lacked his star qualities that you want from a franchise player. It wasn't there. And because it wasn't there, I can't really get behind the Eagles at any point until Wentz fixes his problems and gets that star rollback. He needs to prove he's the franchise guy. Again. Gotta think about this here. And... I think the most important thing, which is also the most hated thing I have to say, is the defense sucked. You heard that right. They sucked. The Eagles' defense was quiet all game. They had no turnovers and no sacks the whole game. And you're talking about the Lions that this happened. Are you out of your mind? You didn't get a turnover off Stafford. You didn't get... You didn't get a sack on him? You didn't get past that offensive line? I mean, are you kidding me? You didn't... All you did was defend passes. Okay. But get some turnovers, change the game. And they didn't do it. You want to know why the Eagles can't win and why teams sometimes can't win? Sometimes it's just the fact that you need a game change in play and that usually comes on defense. And when you don't have one, there's no motivation really there. So, in this case, the Philadelphia Eagles have no motivation. They're not motivated to win. Come back to win, win in general, whatever you want to say. That's a problem. And Peterson needs to fix it. Which now brings me to, instead of going for the winning player of the week, I'm going to go with the losing player of the week to start. So I can conclude on a happy note. Losing player of the week is going to be Baker Mayfield of the Browns. Now, this one seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, in this game against the Rams defense, granted y'all are going to say it's the Rams defense, but keep in mind that defense was better last year. 195 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and a 50% completion percentage. Does that sound like a franchise performance? Does that sound like a franchise QB? No. Does that sound like an MVP performance? No. I mean, come on. Baker, you're supposed to be the leader of this team. Now, usually this is where the Browns fans come at me and say, Oh my God, no, there's no way. I mean, Baker's the best we got. But no, I can't. I can't get behind that. Baker is not doing well right now. And I'm talking about early. Because before you guys attack me, let me also throw out here that he has three he has more interceptions right now thrown than touchdowns. 
Three touchdowns to five interceptions. Sure, his yardage is 805. Great. That's wonderful. How does that help the team? Because according to my record book, touchdowns win games. Uh, points win games. So only three touchdowns to your name? Not a good look, buddy. Baker, you got to get back on track. You got to sort some stuff out. I mean, this is not good. Your team is now sitting at one and two, and you need a victory. You need you need to get back on track. You need to get some wins, and you need to show why they drafted you number one overall. Because you're not playing like a number one overall quarterback. Okay, we don't want to have to see another Tim Couch happen. You're better than that, and we know you are. Just take your time. And trust in your line. Prove to these guys and make them feel as if they need to protect you and show them why. Because if they don't protect you and you don't make the plays happen, your team doesn't go anywhere. So nothing happens for you. And then Odell complains, but we're not going to talk about that. Look, you can do this, Baker. I believe in you. But right now, you're not playing like a top quarterback in the league. You need to take that step up, man. Come on. Your team needs you. The dog pound needs you. And Freddie Kitchens needs you. You got this, Baker. Come on. And as for my winning player of the week, this one may come as a surprise to you, but I'm going with Kyle Allen, quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. He is my winner this week. See, although he fumbled twice... Allen did go 19 for 26 for 261 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. See the difference there? Do you see the difference? The yardage is around where Baker Mayfield's numbers are right now. But why is Kyle Allen better, and why is he a winner? Because his touchdowns to interceptions. He He didn't throw a pick the whole game. He got four touchdown passes. It's all about scores, man. It's all about the points you put on the board. And Kyle Allen's putting the points on the board. Something Cam Newton couldn't do. And now he's got the Liz Frank injury. And he's going to be out a little a little longer than they expected. So Allen's going to stay as a starter. He beat, he beat the Arizona Cardinals. Granted, the Arizona doesn't have a win this season. But that doesn't take away from the fact of a quality win. It was a good win and a good game and a solid performance for Kyle Allen. A lot of people thought the Cardinals were going to win this week. A lot of people. Because they thought Kyler Murray was going to exploit the Carolina defense. And through a quote-unquote struggling Carolina offense. With no leader in sight. Meanwhile, I watched Kyle Allen command the field. And I watched Christian McCaffrey destroy the ground. He pounded that ball down their throat. And in the passing game, he sprinted. He was all over the field. Kyle Allen did everything he could, and they won. Kyle Allen proved that they don't need Newton. Now, this is where it gets controversial, because I love getting controversial. They don't need Cam Newton. If I were them, I'd find a trade. I'd find a trade partner. Yeah, you heard that right. You heard that right. They should trade Cam Newton. There's no need for him anymore. Sure. You guys are going to make that argument that I made about one game. But I've seen the kids start three games already. This kid is good. And even after that one 
that span of not playing as a starter. It didn't affect his confidence at all. He still throws that ball like he command, like he is the captain of the field of the team, and he wants to be. Kyle Allen should be the starter because Cam Newton is not throwing the ball right, and things are not right in Carolina for him. So in my book, leave Kyle Allen in, even if Newton's healthy. As long as Kyle Allen's doing well, there should be no need that Newton come, for Newton to come back in. This is Kyle Allen's team now. And if you can't see that, then there's a problem. And you shouldn't be watching football. Because if there's anything I've learned from all the years I've studied football, and I've been involved with the NFL... You always go for what works. You don't destroy a man's confidence. This is common sense. Destroy a man's confidence and he'll never be the same again. Think about it. Ryan Fitzpatrick got pulled out from Tampa and Winston was put in because he had one bad game against the Bears where he threw four picks. Okay? Winston threw a pick the second he came in. Then they put Fitzpatrick back in a few weeks later. He wasn't the same guy. Why? You destroyed the man's confidence. You lost the man's trust in you to leave him in and let him take over and let him do his job. So when that happens, it looks bad on him and it looks bad on you. So if they were to pull him out and put in Newton after they go undefeated while as with Kyle Allen as a starter, let's just say, all of a sudden they're going to start losing again. We know what's going to happen. Newton may be mobile. Okay, He may be built as a strong quarterback, as a hybrid quarterback, but that does not mean that you should put him in after coming off an injury and take out the guy who's been keeping your team's playoff hopes alive. Get what I'm saying here? So when Steve Smith made that comment, I was not a fan. When Steve Smith made that comment saying that Newton should be coming back in no matter what, Kyle Allen do, does that hurt me because I know Steve I know Steve Smith is a good player and I know he's a good man but I'm being honest here when I say that might have been one of the craziest things I've ever heard that is a basic coach's knowledge if it's working don't here's it's a classic line that we all learn as kids that is still true today if it ain't broke don't fix it So basically, if nothing's wrong with the situation, then don't worry about it. Stick with it. Trust it. Okay? Think about it. Okay? He's playing really well. You don't want to destroy that man's confidence. You don't want to put your team in a bad spot where they lose trust in you. Because that will happen. So we got they got to be smart about this. Because Kyle Allen is doing really well. There's a reason why he's my winning player of the week. And you may see him appear on this list again if he keeps playing the way he is. But that's going to do it for us here at the Pigskin Pulpit. I'm your host, Sideline Statsman. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at TStatsman and on Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. We'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.